The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay. So, welcome again. Um, I thought I'd start this morning's talk off by just posing a question to you all, and you know, you don't have to scream the answer out to me, you can just something to actually think about. Um, and that question is, you know, do we need to get rid of all desire? Now, most of us, you know, you're going to think if you're just sort of coming from a, a, the, the first sort of thought that probably pops into your mind, it's like, yes, well, you know, as a Buddhist and knowing about the Buddhist teachings, you know, I need to get rid of all desires. Uh, central teaching of Buddhism is that uh, desire is the cause of all of our suffering. And if we get rid of desire, then we get rid of our suffering. So what we have to do is work towards uh, abandoning all of our desire. Now, this word desire, what the Buddha was talking about in that instance, is a word called tanha, uh, tanha, uh, tanha. I think that's how you pronounce it properly in English. Um, this word is tana. So the we have the idea when we hear this that we should abandon desire, that we should get rid of all desire, that every desire is wrong and we should be getting rid of all desire. But so the question comes about on top of that now is, is well, what about the desire to actually practice the Dhamma? What about the desire to achieve enlightenment? What about the desire to understand the teachings? What about the desire to practice meditation? What about the desire to hold a particular kind of moral standard? What about the desire to not harm people? What about the desire to help people? What about the desire to have my responsibilities and look after them and do things in the world and make the world a better place? What about all those kinds of desires? So we can ask ourselves these questions and think, well, yeah, what about them? If the, Buddhist, if the Buddhist teaching says to get rid of all desire, what does that mean for those kinds of wholesome things? And what I want to talk about today is the difference between different kinds of desires and trying to outline that you know, having this thought that we need to get rid of every kind of desire is actually grasping the teachings in the wrong way. The Buddha didn't just talk about desire in the form of tanha, of, of tanha. What he talked about as well, he's talked about another kind of desire, and he talked about a desire called chanda. And chanda is normally translated as desire as well, but the Buddha said that this chanda was something that was very important. So that's what I wanted to talk about today is the difference between these kinds of desires, the difference between chanda and the difference between tanha, and why we should, you know, obviously abandon one of those things, but to develop the other one. So just so everybody's on the same page, and if maybe just if anybody sort of doesn't know some of these words that I'm throwing out there, uh, what actually is tana? So tana is, and most of us will, will sort of know this, it's very central in Buddhism, it means desire, it can mean craving, 
And most of us will know it in the context of the Four Noble Truths. It's the second noble truth. Tana is the cause of our dukkha, of our suffering. And so we take this Tana as, as this is the thing that we need to get rid of in our practice. We need to abandon in our practice. The Buddha talked about Tana in a few different kinds of ways, and he identified different kinds of Tanha. The first is Kama Tanha, which is desire for sense pleasures. Uh, then there's Bawa Tanha, which is desire for uh, existence or desire for being. Then there's Vipawa Tanha, which is desire for non-existence or non-being. So these are the, the kinds of desire that the Buddha talked about us getting rid of. Now, what then is Chanda? Again, Chanda is translated as desire, but this is a very different thing. What Chanda actually means or, and what it translates to, it, again, it translates to desire, but it's like the desire to act or it's, you could say it's like an intentionality. It's a kind of will. So you, we can conceptualize Chanda as a, a, a kind of like motivation. Now, when the Buddha talked about Chanda, he talked about it in many ways associated with developing, you could say, like spiritual powers or what it, not, not spiritual powers, but like uh, as a drive, as a motivating force for our practice. He encouraged people to put forth effort and be motivated in their practice. This comes up in uh, a certain place that the Buddha talked about a lot called the, uh, the four bases of spiritual power or the, the Idipadas where the Buddha talked about chanda, desire. He talked about virya, effort, citta, uh, clarity of mind, and vimangsa, which is like skill in analysis. So having this, this kind of desire is a very good thing. This is a, a positive thing, and it leads us in the right direction. It motivates us to do the right kinds of things. So throughout the texts, this chanda, it's, it's seen as, as a positive thing, and this is something that moves us, moves us forward. And so a lot of the times when the Buddha would talk about it, he would talk about what he'd say, kusala chanda, which means like wholesome chanda, wholesome desire. Um, so it's, this kind of desire is seen as a very positive thing. But just as a, like as a caveat to that, there are places in the text as well that the Buddha talks about chanda in a different way, and he talks about akusala chanda which is unwholesome desire. So chanda isn't just this perfectly pure positive you know, factor that we have. There is there's wholesome desires and there's unwholesome desires. And so we just have to keep, you basically just have to keep that in mind. Um, so what are the benefits of chanda? So just to start with, just to state unequivocally, you need it. You have to have chanda. You have to have this kind of desire. You have to have this kind of motivation. You couldn't really do anything in life without it. You couldn't develop yourself in the Dhamma without this kind of chanda, without this kind of desire. Uh, you couldn't, you know, the thing that puts you on the meditation cushion every day is a desire. The thing that pushes you forward and wanting to become enlightened and wanting to uh, purify your mind more and more is this kind of desire. Again, this kind of desire is the thing that, that, that in, 
if we want to improve ourselves in any way, be that, you know, personally or psychologically or spiritually or whatever it is, you need this kind of desire. You can't do it without it. It's like you can't, uh, you can't develop anything without a desire, a wholesome desire to actually do it, you know, and this doesn't just go for our spiritual practice. This goes for many other aspects in our lives as well. You couldn't develop a decent moral standard without desire. You couldn't you know, have a desire to actually help people. Uh, you couldn't, with, you know, without some kind of desire, without some kind of motivation. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't improve the world in any way without it. We couldn't improve in technology or science or, or, or medicine without some kind of desire to improve things. So we need this kind of desire. This is something we have to actually have. Now, the trick is, though, is like knowing what's a wholesome desire and what's an unwholesome desire. Remember, remember I said that, uh, uh, Desire, it's not just chanda, it's not just this perfectly pure thing. There's the wholesome one and there's the unwholesome one. We obviously have to move more towards trying to develop wholesome things and stay away from uh, those kinds of unwholesome desires. So what are the differences then between tana and chanda? There's obviously some kind of difference there. You know, we sort of, they're both called desire, but what's the, what's the difference between the two? So, uh, an, an overly, and I, I thought of this analogy this morning, like an overly, like, simple way to conceptualize the differences by using, is by using a pretty simple example. So, Tana is this desire whereby you want an object, but you always want more and more of it. Whereas chanda is something where you desire an object, but that's just it. You don't want any more. You just want that thing. So the example with that is something like uh, we get hungry. You know, we get hungry all the time. We have pains in our stomach and we start to feel weak. So once we start to experience that, it's like, well, I have the desire to eat something to allay my hunger. Now, Chanda in this instance is the desire for some kind of food. So you might have a banana or whatever it is, you eat it, you're full or whatever, you've allayed your hunger, and that's it. But Tana is something different. Tana is more like you've already been to the restaurant, you've already eaten the main course, you've like had a massive steak dinner or whatever, and you're really, really full, and then somebody sort of like wheels the ice cream cart around, and you're like, oh, no, I'm totally full, but oh, there's the, there's the, there's the coffee cream cake, and I'll, I'll eat the coffee cream cake, and you start to eat it. Even though you're full, you just want more and more of it, and then you say, oh, okay, I'm full, I've had so many sweets, and then somebody offers you some more ice cream, it's like, okay, I'll have some more ice cream. So this is an overly simplified version of this. It's just to illustrate a point that there is a difference there between those different kinds of desire. The other, the other way we can sort of think about it as well is that, that uh, tana is something that, that just arises in you automatically. You don't have to do anything with it. It will just, it will be there. You don't have to do anything. And usually it's going to, lead to a more negative kind of outcome or a negative kind of consequence if you, you know, uh, give into it and follow it. 
Whereas chanda, this is different. This is not something that will just arise by itself. You have to actually work at it. You have to, uh, you have to be motivated to actually do something. You have to be motivated to actually develop chanda. And if you're motivated to develop this chanda in the right kind of way, then this is going to generally lead to a more positive positive uh, outlook or positive consequence. But again, it's knowing what kind of chanda that you're moving towards. Is it a positive kind? Is it a wholesome kind? Or is it an unwholesome kind? You know, we can obviously, we can obviously have a unwholesome kind of chanda where we, you know, want to, uh, we, we have a desire for somebody else's spouse and we want to desire to break up their family so we can have their spouse or we can, we have a desire that we want to cheat somebody out of money or something like that. And obviously this is an unwholesome kind of chanda. So this is not something we should develop and we should foster. We should try to get away from that one. But a wholesome kind of chanda is this desire to practice the Dhamma, to lead a good life, to develop our minds, to improve ourselves in some kind of way. Uh, so, and so this is the kind of desire that we actually need and we actually need to follow. And this is the kind of desire that's actually very, very useful to us. So we can, we can really conceptualize the differences there as like, as like, Tana is something that basically is going to automatically happen and will generally lead you to a negative consequence. Whereas Chanda is something that has a positive and a negative aspect to it. It can be wholesome or it can be unwholesome. And our job is to actually get rid of the kind of unwholesome desires and to develop the wholesome desires. So in a way, a lot of what our practice is, is turning a form of, of, of Tana into a wholesome form of chanda in some way. So, you know, the next big question is, is like, why do we get these things mixed up? Why do we get this kind of like knee-jerk reaction as Buddhists of like all desire is bad? Everything about desire is bad. Why do we get tana and chanda actually mixed up? And the most obvious answer to this is just, it's just like... Uh, a, a linguistic problem that we run into when we translate it into English. Like we use the word desire for tana. Um, and we also use the word desire for chanda as well. And so we just equate tana with desire. And so we equate every kind of desire with being something that is the cause of our suffering without considering that it has this other meaning as well. When you look at desire in the English language as well, it's, it doesn't always just mean a particular kind of thing. Desire in English means many different kinds of things. You can desire, you can, you can desire the chocolate cake, uh, or you can desire to, like, to, I don't know, uh, design a better water filter to, you know, help developing countries that have bad water supply. You have that kind of desire. These two desires are very, very different. So this, understanding that a lot of us have is that that all desire is bad and we should get rid of this is actually this is actually what i want to point out is that we're, what we're doing is we're grasping the teachings wrongly we've misunderstood something about the teachings and it's causing uh 
causing detriment to us. And I think a good, like a good uh, way that this is pointed out, and a good way that a uh, good explanation of this, and a good way to understand this, is some of these and some of these things that I've been talking about. Is there's a particular sutta in the Buddhist teachings? It's called the uh, Water Snake Simile. Um, many of you might have read it before, um, uh, um, and even if you haven't read it, you've probably you've probably heard the parable before, and you've probably you've come across it in some point in your life. Um, but you know, just for those that, that haven't heard it or forgot what it is, I'll I'll just I'll summarize the thing and I'll sort of retell it and I'll you know paraphrase a bit. So forgive me if I if I mess mess things up. My memory's not so great all the time. So the water snake simile, uh, the sutra of the water snake simile, it's about this monk called I think his name was Arita, Arita or Arita or something like that. And anyway, so this monk, he ordained and he went and he listened to the teachings of the Buddha and he was very inspired, but he fundamentally misunderstood part of the teachings. And, you know, he grasped a concept and he grasped it wrong. And so he went back and he was talking to the other monks and he's saying, well, I've understood the Dhamma like this. And all the other monks were like, no, no, you've misunderstood this. You've, you've misunderstood the teaching here. And he was pretty obstinate. He's like, no, 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 I've got it right. You know, you guys have all got it wrong. I'm the one that's sort of understood this right. And so all the other monks are trying to reason with him and, 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 and sort of persuade him out of that kind of view. But, you know, he was sort of, stuck in his ways and the more they argued the more he sort of doubled down so i guess we could sort of like think of many of those kinds of instances that are happening these days at the moment i'm probably as guilty of it as the next person but anyway so he arita became more and more sort of entrenched in this view and held on to it so they had to actually get the buddha to come in and arbitrate for them and you know obviously the buddha's the authority and he fixed arita's wrong view um, and then after that, he, the Buddha, gave two similes about, about this, about holding to the teachings in the wrong way. Um, and just as, a, just as a bit of a side note before I get into the, the, the parables, is that this, the water snake simile, if memory serves me correct, it's about, it's about misunderstanding something about non-self. So I encourage you to read the sutta and you know understand it for yourself uh, but i'm just sort of going to take uh, a, an interpretation from the parables out of that so anyway the first simile that the buddha gave after correcting arita's view was he again i'm summarizing and paraphrasing but the buddha said something like imagine a man needed or desired a water snake and he need had a use and he had a need for a water snake and why anybody needs a water snake, I'm not quite sure, antivenine or something, I don't know. But imagine a man desired and needed a water snake, and so he went out to find a water snake. And so in his foraging, he, he finds the water snake. But this man, he's not skilled at catching the water snake, so he grabs the water snake by the tail. And so what happens when you grab a poisonous snake by the tail? It's pretty obvious spins around and it bites you. And so if we thinking of that story, if we if we think of this this kind of misunderstanding that we have about desire and we have this the misunderstanding we have between tana and chanda, it's it's sort of like grasping the teaching in the wrong way. 
just as if we grab a snake by the tail and it can spin back and it can bite us and it can actually hurt us, if we grasp desire in the wrong way, this can actually be detrimental to us. If we think, I shouldn't desire anything, I shouldn't try to improve myself in some way, I shouldn't really, I don't really have to practice in any way, I don't have to improve myself in any way, this can be quite detrimental to us. This can sort of put us back in many, many ways. So we need to grasp the teachings properly. And so the Buddha uh, went on and told more of the parable. He said, so imagine the man, he was in, uh, desired a water snake, needed a water snake. And so he went out and he found a water snake. And so he, and on finding the water snake, he grabbed it properly, grasped it properly. Then he, after grasping the snake properly, he's able to use the snake for whatever he needs to use it for. And so again, this is like, uh, you know, making the, making the leap to, with, with this with desire. If we know and understand desire in the right kind of way, then we can actually use it properly. And so even though desire might be this like slippery, slippery, dangerous, wild, wieldy, strong, fast thing like a dangerous snake, if we know how to grab it properly, then we can use it properly. If we grab it the wrong way, then it's obviously it's going to hurt us. And so, you know, a further point to this was when the Buddha carries on with the sutta and he gives the simile of the raft or the story of the rafts. And again, I'm sure like in some manner you've heard this story, but uh, just for anybody that hasn't heard, I'll, I'll sort of retell it. And so the Buddha stated that, you know, imagine a man has set out on a journey and he has a place in mind, he has a goal in mind. And on that journey, he's, he's traveling along the road and all of a sudden he gets to this great big river and he needs to actually get across the river. He really, you know, where he's going, he needs to cross this river. There's no other way around it. Now this river, it's not just like a little, like a, a shallow river that he can wade across or walk across or whatever. This is a big, huge river that there's no bridge there's no there's no rope to get across there's you know nothing there's no sort of ferry to get him across but he needs to get across the river in some way so you know what does he do he decides he to build a raft he has a desire to get across the river so he needs to build a raft so he grabs like logs and vines and all these and grass and all these kinds of things puts them all together and he's because he wants to get across the river and gets you know grabs an oar and makes an oar or whatever and so desiring to get across the river he pushes the raft out gets on the raft you know and battles against the currents and all these kinds of things and through that through through uh, 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 being on the raft and getting across he finally gets across to the other side of the river he had a goal and he desired to get across and he actually did get across now the buddha goes on to say that you know this man now on the other side of the river he sort of looks back at the raft he's like this was an awesome raft this is such a i'm such a great raft builder this raft was really really useful i should grab this raft and i should take it with me and i should carry it with me everywhere and so if we if we we think about that that's obviously in the, the most common sense manner it's like you know that's obviously not the right thing to do you, you just leave the raft there you know, there's no need to carry the raft with you you know you've you've got across to the other side now and so the meaning that the buddha gave for that and again i'm 
paraphrasing and summarizing, so forgive me if I get this wrong, is that the Buddha stated something like, just as with a raft, I've, I have taught the Dhamma for crossing over, not for holding on to. If one uses the Dhamma to cross over, then one should let go of the Dhamma and let go of the teachings. And in Dharma in this sense can mean like the teachings, but it can also mean all phenomena. So one should not grasp to any kinds of Dhamma, one should let go of all phenomena. Now, there's a few different ways that we can interpret this. And the first, you know, the first way is the, you know, but really just what the Buddha, what the Buddha said when he, when he stated this is that the reason he taught Dhamma was for us to become enlightened, to get over to the other shore. That's what he taught the Dhamma for, not so we could sort of get into these kind of debates of like you've, you know, I've understood the teachings like this when your understanding is wrong and get into these kinds of arguments. He taught the Dhamma for us to cross over, to attain enlightenment. Now, uh, while this is a this is a decent interpretation, this is most likely what the Buddha meant by it, it also comes with a bit of a problem, is people hear that and then they think, well, if that's what the Buddha said, it's like, well, I shouldn't hold on to the Dhamma. I shouldn't desire to do any of this. I shouldn't, you know, this the, the actual Dhamma, this is not something that's important. I shouldn't desire anything. I shouldn't try to do anything. And so that, that can be problematic. And that's where I think a lot of this, you know, kind of thought comes from of, of you know, I shouldn't desire anything, so I shouldn't even try to actually uh, you know, attain the teachings now, another way to interpret it is that, you know, once you've actually crossed over the stream, once you've actually become enlightened, that's the point when you can let these things go, when you can let the Dhamma go. Now, again, this, you know, this is a, this is a good interpretation, good interpretation, but again, you can, people can fall into misunderstanding here. So even though this whole, like, sutta is talking about not you know, misunderstanding the Dhamma in the wrong way and grasping it in the wrong way, we can still just misinterpret that again of like, the Dhamma's not important. Our practice isn't important. Developing ourselves isn't important. What is important is just letting everything go, not desiring anything. So I think a more, you know, holistic and, you know, safe kind of way to interpret the parable of the raft is is a little bit different is that you know when when we think of it and we think okay we should let the dhamma go we should let go of our tana we should let go of all our all of our desire we're only thinking of the end of the sutta we forget the part where this person that wanted to get across to the other side what did he have to do he had to like go on a journey he had to get to the river. He had to build this raft. He had to have this kind of motivation to get across. He had to put forth a lot of effort and you know gather all the logs and all these kinds of things together. He had to wade out into the water and go against the stream and sort of struggle against the stream and, until he could actually get across the river. He needed that motivation to do that. And so if he hadn't have had that motivation and have, if he hadn't have had that raft, he wouldn't have got across. If he had have just like jumped into the river and just gone, well, I don't need the raft, he would have got swept away. 
would have drowned kind of thing. So it's like that with, with people. If you think that you don't need to desire anything or you don't need to put forth any effort, it's like you're just sort of like sitting on the bank. You're not using anything to actually get across. And so if we, we have to remember this part of the sutta as the most important, we have to have this desire to actually get across the river. We actually have to have this desire to improve ourselves and to attain enlightenment and to understand the Dhamma. And to do this, we actually need to use the Dhamma to do that. We can't do it without it. And so it's only when we actually get across the stream that this is the only point we can actually let go of our desire. This is the only point that we can let go of Tanha. So... The way I sort of interpret it is if you use chanda in the right way and if you understand it properly and you use it properly, that this thing, developing chanda in the right way, is going to be the thing that allows you to let go of tanha. Or to put it more simply, if you develop desire in the right kinds of ways, that this is going to be the thing that actually allows you to let go of desire. So, you know, with that, that's sort of you know, probably probably enough. And just sort of to summarize this, so this understanding of desire and that we have that we should just let go of all desire and we shouldn't desire anything. This is, in a way, this is grasping the teachings wrongly. It's like we do need some kind of desire, and that kind of desire is chanda. This is the again this motivation, this will, this intention, and what we're trying to get rid of is tanha, which is a very very different thing. If we just let tanha go by itself, this desire, that kind of desire go by itself, then this is going to be problematic for us. But actually, developing chanda, this different kind of desire, in the right way and in a wholesome way, this is actually going to be the thing that allows us to let go of the problematic kind of desire, the problematic desire being tanha. And so to do this, you know, we need to actually grasp desire properly, use it properly, don't grasp it wrongly. And really we need to actually have this kind of desire to get to the point that we want to get. And the point that most of us want to get as a Buddhist is achieving enlightenment. And the way we do this is by using a particular kind of raft to get us across there and putting in this kind of effort and having this motivation to get across. And really, if we do develop this chanda in the right way, then this is going to be the thing that allows us to fully get rid of desire. So maybe with that, that's probably, that's probably enough from me rambling on and on. So. Hopefully this has been useful for you in some way. Hopefully you've got something from it. Hopefully it was understandable. Um, and so if you do have any questions, probably now's a, now's a good time to ask some questions. Thanks, Bhante, to, dis to open this discussion. Uh, for me, simply, uh, the desires, there are two types of desires. That desires that lead to remain in the cycle of birth and death. Mm. Uh, and the desires that will allow you to get out of mm. the cycle of birth and death mm. or into, lead to depression. Mm. So those are the ways that you separate two desires. Mm. And uh, 
the trick is that uh, one has to know mm. with the wisdom mm. which are the desires that will uh, keep in the samsara mm. and which are the ones that will lead to liberation. Mm. That is the most important thing. Mm. Uh, second thing is uh, all those things we practice is uh, there's a thing called habit formation mm. uh, which we have to be aware of. Uh, even the, so if we can avoid through wisdom the habit formation mm. I think that is uh, then I think uh, we have understood what is the right desires mm. prevent habit formation because we have to live with other desires to live in the world anyway all the time mm. like uh, eating food and doing things like that mm-hmm. so if you can manage that yeah. I think yeah. you are in the right track yeah, for liberation sure. yeah yeah yeah, and that's that's the big thing of you know, uh, you know, understanding what's a, a wholesome kind of desire and what's an unwholesome kind of desire, um, and you know what are uh, and it, you know as you said, like with with developing kind of habits, it's like you know what's a what's a good habit, what's a bad habit, you know, knowing knowing the kind of habits that will sort of lead you that aren't going to be beneficial for you in any in any way. These are you know these are not really habits that you should keep up and also uh but good habits these are things that that bring you a lot of benefit so yeah it really is about understanding the kinds of desires that are that are leading you towards something that that foster greater understanding in your life and lead to some kind of improvement in your you know you like a psychological personal spiritual kind of improvement and you know eventually leading to the improvement of actually becoming fully liberated so that's yeah but, but sometimes you know grasping that or or you know deciding that can be you know can be tricky you know a lot of times maybe we think it's like okay if to to attain enlightenment i should just like practice meditation all day every day and I, this is all i should do um yeah sometimes that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Well, that's that's generally good advice. You know, sometimes this can be wrong. You might be you're sort of going off the track. You might be understanding something in the wrong way. And so, even you're you're running as fast as you can towards like enlightenment. You might be like running along the wrong track. So you you have to sort of like take note of where you are a lot of times as well. So yeah, hopefully that made sense. Thank you for the talk. That's fine. Um, I was wondering whether maybe a better translation for the word might be intention. Yeah, yeah. Because um, when I was thinking, considering your talk, mm. um, I was thinking in English, intention has less charge associated with it. Yeah, yeah. It's more sort of like a goal that you're putting out there in front of you. Yeah which is less likely to have you grasp after it. Mm, mm. Anyway, just a small comment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, a, it's a very good point as well. Um, I, it's innately translating any kind of language is always tricky because, you know, one, one word in one language doesn't always necessarily map perfectly onto another, onto another word. Like, you know, the problem we have in Buddhism a lot is dukkha as well. That's another word. It's like... Suffering, but you know, it doesn't just mean that. There's many, many other ways, and you can sort of interpret it. And 
Also, depending on the context that you use it in, like it, it can mean a different thing. So this is, you know, that's one of the main problems with like tanha. It can mean like craving, but it can also mean desire as well. But again, depending on the context that you're using it in, it means a different thing. And yeah, it's it can be tricky to just say, well, it means desire. And I say, well, what kind of desire? There's so many different kinds of desire. Um, and same with chanda. Same with chandra, it's like, yeah, it means this, you know, like this intentionality, an intentionality to do something, but it can also mean like a, like a motivation as well. So, um, it's, it's a tricky one. What's, what's motivating? You, you, you don't always have intention with the motivation as well. You can do things unintentionally. And so again, you know, this is getting pedantic kind of thing, but you, you can see how these things can become slippery. So, Again, as in the case of your practice, you know, it's, it really just about is about this big thing of like understanding that one, you know, the one kind of uh, desire, this kind of motivation, this intentionality we have, this can actually be very, very helpful. But this other kind of desire of you know, desiring for more and more sense pleasures, that is this desire for, uh, uh, for, for, for being and existence and, and non-being and non-existence, these are the kinds of desires that we're trying to actually get rid of. So the, the two different kinds. So, yeah. Some words are sticky. <laughs> sticky, yeah, yeah. Sticky, slippery. It's <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the talk. Um, yeah, sometimes um, I can get um, overwhelmed with the enormity of the task, ridding, mm. ridding ourselves of desire because mm. um, uh, I understand that we're desire realm beings. We've taken birth in mm. samsaric conditions mm. and it just seems that um, desire is everywhere. It's, mm. it's, it's delusion. It's peppered right throughout our lives. You know, mm. We don't have to look far to see it, yeah. whether it be on the internet or other things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just wondered if you've got any, um, any practical strategies to, um, you know, to maybe break it down a bit, chunk it, make it a bit easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I guess the big thing is, is um, you know, if you're sort of chunking it down kind of thing, it's it's a big task. It's a massive task. It's like, and it's just like the hardest task that you can set yourself of being free from all tanha and upadana, like uh, clinging and clinging and craving and desire and grasping. This is the hardest thing that you can do. It's not something that you can just decide to do and it's, you, you know, you've done it kind of thing. So it takes, it takes a lot of time. And so we have to work at sort of stripping down layers of it as well. You know, the, you know, the fun, the fundamental desire that we have that's sort of conditioned by avidya, conditioned by ignorance. This is something really hard to get at and it's something so slippery. It's something so covered over and it's sort of, it's, it's, it's really hard to actually get. So we have to start with pretty simple things. Start with simple things. So start for example, like these kinds of, when we notice we have desires for something that is unwholesome in some way. It's like, okay, well, yeah, this would be a desire to, that would lead me like in the wrong direction. And you just sort of try to pull back from that as much as you can. So maybe using our mindfulness a little bit. Yeah, and yeah, meditation. Sure. Yeah. Mindfulness and your wisdom as well. Wisdom. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So looking at these things that are unwholesome or whatever and trying to at least like trying to pull back from them and then just sort of realizing as well, I was like, you're not going to win every time. (laughs) You're just not. Um, You're going to fall into bad habits. You're going to fall into doing bad things, but it's fine. But you just keep have to like keep at it and sort of recognizing when you do have desires for more wholesome kinds of things and seeing this, like, okay, that's a, that's a good kind of desire. I'll try to follow that. And then being, you know, pleased with yourself when you do do that. It's like, actually, yeah, I can do this. And I, I love the water snake analogy as well. Yeah. I thought that was well put. You know, not all desire is, you know, inherently inherently bad. Yeah, either. yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's sort of like a knife. You be know, skillful. Like, yeah. So like, you know, you have a knife and it's like it's not, not necessarily the case that the knife um, is innately dangerous. You know, it's how you're actually using the knife. You can use the knife to actually go and stab somebody and hurt somebody, or you can use the knife to like save somebody's life. So it's these, these things is really, it's a lot of it is about how you're actually using it. So yeah, breaking it down, just, just try to, you know, know that the task is big and it's going to take a long time. And so you have these small, have these small wins and the small wins they'll become, you'll be able to, once you start to peel more of these coarser levels away, you'll actually be able to start to realize more about the, the like the finer grain details of, of, you know, the, the entrapments of the different kinds of desire. So yeah, just, you know, just sort of keep at it. It's <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Ajang, there's um, one question online I've just asked for yeah. a little bit of clarity on, but yeah. just in the meantime, I, I did have a question myself. Yeah. Around the um, um, wholesome desire, mm. it, it's sometimes not so clear-cut. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. What one person sees as wholesome may not be the same mm. that another person sees. Mm. So when you perform a seemingly wholesome desire, yeah. then you can end up you know, another person in an, in an, in an argument. Yep, yep. And all of a sudden, that desire has been completely corrupted right, and all of yeah. a sudden you're in an argument um, about what is wholesome and what's not, not yep. wholesome. I mean, you're yep. probably seeing it out in the city every yep. every weekend mm-hmm. with the with these protests. What, what, what do we do in what what do we do in those situations? Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. It's and this is the thing, like we have desires and we have intentionalities and it's, and while they can start out as altruistic in some ways, they can be derailed. Not all altruistic motivations work out well. Um, so uh, actually like a part of our, uh, say for example, uh, a part of our, our veneer, our rules is that, you know, even if you're, your, you have a good intention, a good desire to help somebody in some way. It doesn't always mean that this is going to be the right course of action to take. So the, one of the rules states about, uh, letting a, an animal out of a trap. Um, what can, you know, we have the good desire there. We have the, 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 the seemingly wholesome desire to release this animal from its suffering. But, the hunter comes along and he's like, well, you've let the animal out of my trap. You've like ostensibly like stolen my property now. So we can have good intentions and good desires and it can turn out the wrong way. 
but I guess the the what we have to consider is like whatever we're sort of operating on. If we think you know, we can think something's a wholesome desire to have, and let's say we have two a dichotomous kind of choice. There's a wholesome desire, and then there's an unwholesome desire, and we think this wholesome desire is the thing that's going to lead us to the outcome that we want. We might choose this wholesome desire, and it just doesn't actually give us what we want. There could be like problematic. It could be problematic there. So you have to sort of like continue to readjust, readjust this desire in some way to try to continually move you towards something that's more positive. It's not like we're just going to get it right every time, you know. Yeah, I, I've you know I know. I gave the uh, example before about practicing a lot. And, you know, when I was like a junior monk, I had this like desire to do like so much practice, do a lot of practice, do many, many hours. And, you know, I thought that this was the thing that was going to actually make me enlightened or whatever. But what it ended up doing was stressing me out a lot. And um, I, I wasn't, I was sort of going backwards as opposed to going forwards. So sometimes we have the uh, kusala chanda, this wholesome kind of desire, and it doesn't quite work out. So we just have to recalibrate and sort of see, is this thing working out? Is this thing sort of moving me towards the goal that I'm trying to get from it? So, does that make sense? Or does that quite answer the question or not really? No. <laughs> so what, what, so what, what, do you, what do you mean then? I guess um, you get, you can get to the point where um, there's just such a difference in views, mm. okay? Right. And mm. and when you've got it, when you've got a difference in views, mm. um, you can have a situation where, as you put it, the whole desire itself mm. and wanting to continue that ends up being derailed and, right. and then there's then you start to even make yourself quite wrong mm. about having that wholesome design because start to question whether that is actually a wholesome desire mm, 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 mm. yeah I guess in a way then you know there's a point where it's not working you know, the point where it's not working, where what it's actually doing is it's turning into it's turning into something that becomes negative. It's turning into something where you're you know, clashing with the other person, and you know the net positive that you get from this wholesome desire is not a net positive anymore. It's becoming a negative. So, if that's the case in that in that particular kind of situation, you need to. Let that go, not hold on to it. It doesn't mean that it won't be positive in another instance, though. Say, say for example, you have two warring factions. They can't, you know, they can't, they can't agree on something. Um, this this side has this like great desire to convince them of of you know the error of their ways, kind of thing, and then they you know now just they can't do it, and this wholesome desire is just making the matters worse. So they have to just let that go. Now, does this mean that this side should never ever try to convince somebody that they're wrong in some other ways? No. 
you know, they might find somebody else that's you know more amenable to to actually like to reason or whatever it is. So you, I guess, what I'm trying to get at is you have to sort of continually assess the strategy. So even if it is wholesome and it's not working, as then we have to stop. Even so, it is a wholesome desire. You have to stop and you have to change tactics, kind of thing. But it doesn't mean that the wholesome desire is always wrong and it can't be used in other instances. Does that answer it better? Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'll, I'll, re I'll repeat it. Yeah. Which sutta? What number? Oh, I don't know the number. I'm pretty bad on those kinds of things. It's just called the water snake simile. It's in the Sutta Nipata, I think. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you the number. Just, yeah, look up water snake simile. So, yeah. Jang, an online question here is, um, what are some good ways to do with wholesome desire in Dhamma? Say it again. Yeah, this is the one I did actually ask some clarity on. What are some good ways to do with wholesome desire in Dhamma? Some good examples, or some good ways to actually develop it, or is it, is it a bit ambiguous, or yeah. Okay, great, great, cool. I don't have to babble on and, and give them the wrong answer. That's okay. Here we go. How can we develop some more confidence when overwhelmed by worry and fear? Because sometimes anger can arise with the worry. How can we overcome anger and fear? Because anger can and anger and fear can arise with the worry, yeah? Yeah, it's like I guess I guess we sort of just have to see that that's a part of it. Having some kind of anger and fear. Having some kind of anger and fear is innately going to color our existence. And it's going to be a part of our existence in some way. And so having to face up to that is going to cause some kind of worry and agitation and fear because of that. And so you have to ask yourself, is, you know, is the anger and the fear and the worry, is this thing, is this thing worth overcoming? And is this thing worth me worrying about? And so most of the time, most of the time, overcoming anger and fear, this is something that we should try to do. And this is something that we do have to face. And this is, you know, in many different instances in our lives, we have to overcome this thing. And it's going to cause us some kind of suffering to do that. And that's just sort of a part of it. If it was easy and pleasurable to overcome anxiousness, worry, fear, all these kinds of things, you, you just do it in a snap. Like it'd be easy to be pleasurable. You just do it. But we have to recognize that overcoming these things is going to cause us some suffering in this way. So we have to, in a way, take that on. We have to realize that this is going to be hard to get through and I'm going to have to start to go through some kind of negative emotions to get through this. But that it's actually worth it. That it's, even though it is suffering, that it is actually worth it. It's suffering that is leading to a 
letting go of a greater kind of suffering. So you have to take that up in some way. Like there's, we have to just sort of accept that that's a part of the deal. Like it's, you can't, you can't not get over fear and fear and anger and worry without going through some kind of tumultuous suffering experience. But if you can do this and you can get through this worry and the fear, what you get from that is something so much better. You get something so much greater. You get something so much more profound is that you're free from these things now. You're free from fear and anger and worry. You're free from these things. And when they do come up, they just don't, they don't have so much of a hold over you anymore. So we have to actually go through some kind of suffering to get over these uh, greater things. And we just have to accept that that's sort of a part of the deal. And so we have to remember that, that going through this fear, we need that desire to sustain ourselves and get through the suffering that we will take to get over that fear and desire. Hopefully that answers the question. No further questions? Cool. Anybody else here have questions? You can just scream them out if you want and I'll repeat them if you don't want to come up to the mic. Does that, does that mean I've made a lot of sense or I'm just like talking and I'm making even less and less sense the more that I talk? It's like, I, I don't want to ask this guy a question. He's giving us these convoluted answers that I don't get. <laughs> uh, Bhante. Yeah. Um, maybe Bhante can uh, explain about right effort. Right effort, yeah. There are four of them. Four kinds of right effort, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, your effort is something that's innately tied to what I was talking about today, is a chandra, um, and so we the f we have we can have this kind of right effort, and we have these four kinds of right effort, and the four kinds, if memory serves me correctly, is that we have the uh, we know what is wholesome and we know what is unwholesome, and so if we don't have uh, wholesome states in the mind, we have the desire uh, and put forth the effort to uh, give rise to wholesome states in the mind. And if we have unwholesome states in the mind, we have the, the put the effort to abandon them as well. And uh, if oh, I'm getting mixed up, sorry, yeah. sorry. Keep the wholesome man. Keep the wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> and do so, yeah. wholesome to come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have the desire desire for the wholesome oh, that's right. Desire for wholesome states to arise. And once they have arisen, the desire to keep them. You have uh, unwholesome states, uh, the desire to get rid of unwholesome states, and once they have been once they have arisen, you like try to abandon them. So we it really is about 
understanding what is uh, wholesome in the mind and what is unwholesome in the mind and trying to work towards either developing more wholesome things in the mind and abandoning unwholesome things in the mind. I should know this. I gave a talk about this a while ago and I just sort of forgot about it. So. <laughs> I think there's one more question that's come in. Are most desires a function of the body and that they will disappear without it? Didn't the Buddha have those desires while he was alive? Yeah, you know, the you know the Buddha obviously got hungry. The Buddha obviously felt some sort of pain. The Buddha, um, you know, obviously felt the 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 sting of the the elements when it got hot and when it got cold. Um, so a lot of our desires are sort of like built up in our physiology, and then we have to correct these in some way you know as a as the example i gave before it's like you have the desire you're hungry so you have the desire to actually eat and so the buddha was the same the buddha had to eat the buddha had to you know take medicine the buddha had to you know get sort of exercise or whatever it was so anybody that has Anybody that has a body and has the five khandas actually has these kinds of desires wrapped up with it. Again, though, it's about just doing what you can to overcome them and not sort of desiring more. So it's a part of the training that we go through as a monk. We have what's called the, the four requisites, the, the food, shelter, clothing, and medicines. And so what we're taught to do, these are the things that support our body and these are the things that keep the body alive. And so what we're taught to actually do most of the time is to see them as that, merely just a support for the body. When the body gets hungry, I eat and I just eat enough to allay hunger and to keep me alive for another day. The, the clothes that I have, they're just to you know ward off the heat and the cold. Um, they're not to look awesome these clothes don't look awesome at all and they're not the most fashionable things to be wearing so they're, they're just there to, to ward off the heat and the cold and and the, the different kinds of elements nothing more than that there's uh the shelter that we have you know it's just again to keep you out of the keep you out of the elements you don't worry about a, is my place the 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 prettiest the nicest the most beautiful the most well designed or whatever it is it's just this is just a building to keep me out of the elements you don't want any more than that and it's the same with with medicines is like whatever medicine i can get if i get sick whatever medicine i can get my hands on that's that's sort of enough that's uh you know whatever whatever will work to actually allay my sickness so we have you could say the desires that are wrapped up with the body can be overcome by just being content with the four requisites. And if we can just be content, then our desire doesn't sort of like spiral out of control of like, okay, well, I'm hungry. I want to eat. Okay. I just, I get something to eat, but actually I want to eat that. I want to eat this, you know, I want this other, this other thing. I want better clothes. I want more of this. So if we can just be content with whatever way that we can allay the suffering of the body. This is the, the right kind of desire that we can have. Thank you, Ajahn. Oh, got another question here. They're coming in thick and fast. How did you come up with the conclusion that practicing too much was leading you in the wrong direction? Second part of the question. 
More specifically, how did you differentiate between suffering you have to go through to overcome suffering versus the suffering that's leading you in the wrong direction? Yeah, so to the, to the first part of the question, it's, you know, I, I was, you know, practicing a lot and not, you know, not sleeping much, not eating much, uh, spending most of my time awake <laughs> kind of thing. And I, I was just having so much worry and anxiety and, and suffering come up in the mind, sort of pushing myself too hard and really just, you're getting to the point of burnout. It's like anything. It's you, you do too much of it. You're going to burn yourself out with, to, if you don't look after yourself in other ways, you're going to like burn out. So it's with the practice. It was, you know, it was basically like that as well It's like, you just end up burning yourself out. So it's, it's like, it's pretty obvious that you've, you've gone the wrong way. You've done too much of this one thing. And so if, and so what I, if I was practicing too much, that, that, that mightn't have been too much for somebody else. Maybe somebody else could do the same amount of practice and get a lot of benefit out of it. And that's, and that's fine. But um, for me at that time, doing that much practice and putting that much pressure on myself of, of, you know, wanting, you know, and that was the thing, you know, I you know, really want to be enlightened and I think I should be doing all this practice. And I think because I'm practicing these many hours of the day that I should have samadhi, I should be a sotapanna, I should be enlightened and not actually getting the results from that, that I thought that I was putting in. It's like, well, doing all this work, why am I, why am I not getting any results? They actually end up causing me a lot of suffering. Um, and so just I had to sort of like dial it back and be a little bit more, you know, be a little bit more you know, sort of balanced in my own practice. So it's, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious. So even when you're doing a, a, a good thing, doing a good thing that if you've done too much of it, it can become detrimental, you know, exercising. If you, uh, exercising is generally a good thing, but if you're, you know, if you're, 300 kilos or whatever it is and you decide to go and run a marathon it's going to like hurt you in some way so you need to do the appropriate amount of exercise just go for a little walk or whatever it is and then eventually build up to where it's going to be more and more beneficial for you so it it was pretty obvious if you if i was for me when i was doing that kind of practice uh it was the more i practiced the more pressure i put on myself and the more i suffered because of it so and what was the second, can you ask me the second part of the question again? How did you differentiate between the suffering you have to go through? To, uh, yeah, sorry. How, how did you differentiate between the suffering you have to go through to overcome suffering versus the suffering that lead, that's leading you mm. in the wrong direction? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really hard to tell. Like you don't. It's it's so hard to tell at the time. Um, you don't know whether you don't know whether this suffering that you're going through right now is the thing that will lead you to greater freedom, or if it's just if you keep doing this thing, it's going to cause you more and more suffering. So you really just have to make like the best the best kind of choice that you can with the information that you've got. You, you get to this point, it's like, well, I, I'm just, the, the more I do this thing, 
If it's the more and more that I do this thing, the more and more suffering I get and there's no sort of release from that. I can't see the end goal. I'm just sort of, I just, I keep walking down this tunnel and it continues to be dark kind of there. I keep walking in this way. And so, you know, you might change tactics and you might try to go a different, a different way. So it's, it's hard to tell with the information, whatever information you've got at that point in time, whether it's going to be a cause for more suffering or less suffering. So if you do notice that you're actually doing something and it is just leading to more and more and more and more suffering, you try something else, you try something else. And maybe that alleviates that in some way, you try a different tact with it. And if that does work, great, you've done the right thing. If you try it and it's not working and that thing as well is leading to more suffering, try another thing. If that thing's leading to more suffering, try another thing. Um, so, you know, we, we really have to use a lot of our, a lot of our wisdom as much as we possibly can. And to, just to realize that sometimes we're going to make the wrong kind of judgment call. We're going to make the wrong, you know, it's it's just going to be wrong sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, we maybe should have gone through a little bit more suffering to get to where we, we needed to go through. But, you know, that's just, just sort of the way it is. <laughs> if, if, you know, and, and also, I, I guess a point I want to make just, just, to, just to clarify, um, and just so maybe people don't misunderstand me in some ways, like there's... We have to make a differentiation between like chosen suffering and unchosen suffering. You know, it's it's so it's not to say that uh, unchosen suffering, say for example, like like the death of a child or something like that, that you know, this is going to be great and this is going to be the thing that makes you makes everything so much better in your life. That that's not what I'm talking about. What we're talking about here with like things like meditation is the chosen suffering that you take on for yourself of, of some kind of hard task that you set for yourself and that, that you know that there's going to be some kind of suffering involved in that. Um, you do some kind of hard job or some kind of hard task and you know there's going to be some kind of suffering and that's the kind of suffering that can be rewarding and that you're going to overcome. But unchosen suffering, this is a, this is a different thing. It's, it's, it's not that, Okay, well, I'm I'm grieving for the loss of my child, so I should do more of this grieving because more of this grieving is going to be good. That's not what I mean at all. Um, I'm when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about more of these things that are like chosen suffering. So just to just to sort of clarify that, just in case anybody misunderstood. Can I ask some people this question? The first part. Same question, I'm putting a different way. The first part of the question about uh, this, uh, Buddha said at the very beginning, I mean, don't go to two extremes. Mm. And uh, that's why, I mean, don't, don't do too much of anything. Mm. That's how the very first things Buddha said, Madhya Pajoda. The second thing is this suffering uh, is, um, uh, it is actually somebody else's view of your suffering. If you, say, if a monkey is uh, only having one meal and mm. sleeping on a hard mat, mm. yeah, I suffer into mm. get enlightened. Mm. Uh, but it is somebody else's point of view, mm. not necessarily yeah, yeah. the practitioner's point of view. Yeah, so yeah. that's the problem here. See, it, yeah. uh, oh, he's suffering because see, he's mm. only one meal, mm -hmm. not even wearing properly. You see, the clothes. Yeah. yeah. So that's the problem here. See. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know yeah what is. You know, what is chosen suffering for one person is not the same as for another person. It's, um, 
you have to sort of see. It was like, well, uh, as you said, say for example, like just eating one meal or sleeping on a hard bed. You know, that mightn't that mightn't be like appropriate for somebody somebody else, but it might be very appropriate for somebody that's a monk and is a practitioner. That doesn't mean it's the right kind of balance for you. So that's a part of it. You have to get the right balance in these things. You have to find out what's the right balance for you. And if you can see that, that what you're doing that is causing some kind of suffering is leading to something greater, then you know, then you should try to try to take it on like any kind of, you know, hard any kind of hard task that you, you know, you set yourself a I don't know, you want to run a marathon or something. It's like, for me, it's like I see somebody that runs a marathon, I'm thinking, like, that's ridiculous. There's no way I, I nah, I, I'm not going to run that. That seems like ridiculous. That seems like a terrible amount of suffering and I wouldn't want to go through it. But there's plenty of people that run marathons and get a lot of, uh, get a lot out of it. So, and they know the suffering that they have to go through for that. For me, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run a marathon. But, you know, that same person might look back at me and go, well, I, you know, I wouldn't want to do what you do. Like, I, I'd, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to sort of like sit meditation for that long. I wouldn't want to like eat one meal a day and all these kinds of things. So really it is about the kind of goal that you're going after. And if you can see that this thing that's causing suffering is leading to the, to that goal, then this is the thing that you should be like taking on. Thank you. Um, the un, unchosen um, suffering mm. of losing a child, mm -hmm. does that come from a previous negative karma by any chance? It's really hard to say. You can't just like throw it all at karma's feet. You can't just say it's like, well, the, the, the reason I lost this child is because of some sort of karma that I had. You know, to do that is to, is to say in effect that whatever I do in life is predetermined that any kind of suffering that comes about is, is a result of some kind of karma, and I can't get out of that. So there's a lot of times with karma, it's like some things will be due to past karma that's happened, but some things will be new karma. Some things will be the karma of one individual and the karma of another individual. And sometimes these things clash. They clash anew. It's not, but it's not like that this person has this kind of karma of like, well, you know, I've got the karma that I'm going to lose my child. This could just be like new karma sort of clashing with each other. So we have to, so we have to remember that not all things we have at every time is the result of previous karma that's happened. It can be new karma, it can be something new that we're just sort of coming up against. But the way that we respond to this new karma, this is the thing, this is the thing that will determine the kind of karma we have going forward or be a cause for the kind of karma that we have going forward. The way we deal with that loss, the way, the way we sort of, um, yeah, the way we deal with it, this is going to determine how 
the kind of mental states that we'll have going forward. So while a lot of what we experience, we can say is due to some kind of karma. It's not that like this one-to-one ratio of like, because I experienced this thing, I had to experience it because of something else that happened in the past. It can be just something totally, totally new. If everything was determined by the karma that we have in the past, we could never get out of it. So if everything that I experience is due to what's happened to me before, then I can't get out of this cycle. But because what the Buddha taught was that we can get out of this cycle of birth and death, we can get out of this cycle of karma, this means that if in some way we can change this, this means in some way we have some kind of volition where we can move forward in a more positive way and be free of the karma from the past. We can actually do that. We're not just susceptible to whatever has happened. If we were, if we were, the Buddha would have never came, become enlightened. The Buddha did, you know, you look at the, you know, and however you want to take them. There's so many tales about the Buddha, the, the, the bad things that he did in, in, in different kinds of lives. Uh, he would have never got out of it. But we, because we can overcome our old karma, then you know there is a way for us to there is a way for us to get through that and so the point i'm trying to get at here is, is it's not this kind of like one to one thing of you will experience this bad thing and the reason you experienced this bad thing was because of a karma that i had it could be new karma it could be like totally new karma you can't really tell um you know, a lot of times people will do this something bad and this is this is where it becomes problematic something bad happens to someone and then we might look at it from the outside as a Buddhist and go, well, that's their bad karma. This, this happened to them because they were bad. It's like, you don't know that. You don't know that this bad thing that happened to this person, this probably, this wasn't their fault. You know, if somebody loses a child, it's not their fault. You know, it can be in some ways, but most of the time it's not their fault. They didn't choose to do that. This is not something that they, you know, that they sort of, they're to blame for. So we have to be careful when we, Think about these things. You know, we can't just sort of blame everything on past karma. It could be something new that the person's coming up against. So, yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. No further questions. That's pretty good. We're pretty much on time now as well. So, again, hopefully, hopefully what I've said here today has made some sort of semblance of sense for you. Hopefully it's been helpful in some way. Hopefully... Uh, yeah, you can take it and go and, and practice it in some way. And yeah, sorry if some of it was confusing and, and sorry if I forgot some things as well, the four right efforts. I yeah, remembered them now, so I can talk about it later. So yeah, so with that, we'll, we'll close out for today then. Uh, after this, we have a communal lunch over there. So if you want to, if you want to sort of come over and be part of the lunch, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, and with that, we'll call it a day. Yeah. Respects to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha.